0: Good morning, hey, welcome everyone, welcome to Faith Community Church, it's great to uh, see each and every one of you here, thanks for making time to gather this morning, it's getting a little uh, cozy in the room here, I just want to say thank you for making room for each other, we will continue making room for each other, God help us, God give us grace, We'll we'll figure out how to find chairs for all the butts, okay, we'll be just fine, everybody say, we'll be just fine, all right. Before we continue this morning, um, just a reminder, if you didn't already know, if you're blind or live under a rock and you didn't know, there are elections this week uh, here in this community and some of the surrounding communities. We have judges and county supervisors and mayors and school board elections being held this Tuesday. And so uh, we're gonna take some time to pray as a congregation this morning together, okay? It, it really is uh, a privilege to have good, not perfect, but good uh, local and national leaders, and we get to be a part of choosing who those people will be, I would avail you this morning, uh, take advantage of that opportunity on Tuesday. And uh, I don't need to tell you, it's not getting any easier right now to be any kind of leader anywhere. And uh, so we want to we wanna pray for them. Actually, First Timothy 2 commands us, when the church gathers, to remember those who serve us and to pray for them, so we're gonna do that right now, right? If this is one of your first times in church, maybe you haven't prayed in a really long time, we are so honored to have you, and you are most welcome here, and I, I just invite you to join us when you're ready, okay? Well, let's bow our heads together. This is from Psalm 86. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Would you just take a minute right now to pray for yourself and for the person sitting to the right and the left of you, even if you don't know their name. Would you just ask God to meet with us here and to give us undivided hearts this morning? I want to invite you now, is there anyone in your life or in the community that just immediately comes to mind that you wish were here? Would you, would you pray for them this morning and ask God to, to draw them to himself Our Father in heaven, it is Sunday morning again, and we are gathered here together in your name, along with congregations all around the St. Croix Valley and all around the world. And we thank you, God, for calling us out together. We love you. We love each other. We are in awe of the, the mercy that you have shown to us in Jesus. Would you help us this morning to hear your word? And not just here, but God, would you do a mighty work in congregations all around the St. Croix Valley this morning. We are always remembering, Lord, we are always remembering congregations in Ukraine and Russia and places like Ethiopia that are surrounded by uncertainty. Father, we ask together that you would do uh, great things. Would you fill your people with your spirit in these places? Provide all that they need and much, much more. Would you give them boldness and courage? And we do. I thank you for every person that serves us in this region and local government. And would you, would you provide wise and just and righteous judges and mayors and school board leaders and county supervisors, men and women who will allow the church to lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. Would you, would you bless those that are serving us? Would you allow them to see their kids growing up strong and healthy, protect their marriages? Of course, ultimately, God, would you lead them uh, to your son, Jesus? We ask all this uh, through Jesus, who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit now and forevermore. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, uh, in this teaching series, we're talking about one of the ways that the Holy Spirit creates lasting transformation in His people from the inside out. If we were to have a series about all of the ways that the Holy Spirit creates transformation in His people, that would be a very, very long series indeed, because in His mercy, God takes up everything about our lives and forces it to do good to us. But the indispensable means of transformation are Scripture... Because the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture, it's prayer, because the Holy Spirit is what stirs up and creates prayer among His people, and then finally, what we're talking about in this series is Christian community. If you were here a month ago uh, for our series in Galatians, uh, just a reminder, this was part of the message, that to be a Christian is to have the Holy Spirit living and working in your heart. So to say Jesus lives in me, Galatians 2.20, is the same as saying uh, I have received the Holy Spirit, Galatians 3.2. You remember that from a month ago? To say that Jesus lives in me is to say I have received the Holy Spirit. And remember, we are helpless to change ourselves. That was part of the message. We cannot save ourselves in our own strength and therefore we cannot change ourselves in our own strength either. But on the other hand, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is Jesus, alive in his people, and he can do anything. He can raise the dead and open blind eyes and heal people. And so to be a Christian is to be someone whose transformation is coming and is inevitable. And the promise is that in the Spirit, you will have everything that you need to live a life pleasing to God exactly when you need it. You will have everything that you need exactly when you need it. Now, in light of what we're going to read in 20 seconds, we could add... Because you belong to the church, you will have everything we need when we need it. Does that make sense? Because you are part of God's gift of grace to the people around you. So you'll have everything we need when we need it too. Okay? So our scripture reading this morning is in Ephesians chapter 4. The best book in the whole Bible according to 9 out of 10 teaching pastors in, in Hudson. That'll be on page 977 in the Bibles under the chairs in front of you. I'd love for you to follow along this morning, and we're not going to jump all over today, okay? Ephesians 4, page 977, and we're going to start reading in verse 11. When you're there, say, I'm there. Okay, I'm going to wait a little longer. Okay, here we go. This is a man named Paul, writing to some people he loves in the city of Ephesus. And Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Look with me again at verses 12 and 13 real quick. So God has given certain gifts and certain roles to people in the church to what? To equip the saints, that's y'all, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And this is, I just love this phrase, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood... To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What a great phrase. To the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. We have a doorframe at our house. Some of you probably have a doorframe like this where we measure the kids as they grow. And dad's line is way up here, you know, right at the line. But over the years, they've been creeping. And and actually, we did it yesterday. As a matter of fact, I have shrunk an inch in the last 10 years. So... (laughs) There's that. But that's the picture that comes to my mind when I think of of, uh, filling up, you know, growing into the, the, the measure of the fullness of Christ. Here's another way of saying the same thing. In verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, if, if we'd been reading through Ephesians together, you know, for a while, uh, basically what, what's happening here is this is a summary in some ways of everything Paul has already said and then his thesis statement for everything he's about to say. It's a great turning point in the book. So he's been talking about, for three chapters, talking about the mystery and the greatness of the church. Here are some of the phrases that he uses to describe you, okay? He says that we're the fullness of of Jesus, who fills everything. That's chapter one. We're a temple in which God dwells by his spirit. That's chapter two. We, this is true about you, okay? We reveal the manifold wisdom of God, not just to the world, but to principalities and powers, watching what's going on here. That's chapter three. And in chapter four, he's been writing about you know, this, this astounding unity. That the church is supposed to have. And and right now, what we just read, he's talking about the results of that. If we would be who we're called to be, the results are genuine character transformation. So the the purpose of the church isn't just friendship and inspiration to get through another week, but we are uh, at least part of helping one another Grow up in the fullness of the stature of Christ. And that is radical. Because no one ever spends time reflecting on who Jesus is and what he's like. And then walks away from that experience thinking, I am just crushing it in life right now. I'm just knocking it out of the park. No one ever does that. And yet that is the promise of scripture that we are here to help one another grow up into him become more like him so his wisdom and his patience and his kindness and you just notice how Jesus just always knows what to do and when to do it there's you know Jesus is this amazing blend of of gentleness and grace and then severity at the same time And we get to grow up together in that. And people really do change. I think this is, you know, one of the most significant points of unbelief in the church. That people really are changed in their relationship with Jesus Christ. If, If you are visiting this morning, maybe, just checking things out, and your only contact with the church has been what you see on TV and read on blogs, you are probably really in disbelief right now. But I would just tell you from the inside, being in the church now for 40 years, that's actually true. So I was hanging out with a friend this week. He's about 25 years older than me, which is to say still super young. he just, he's one of those people in my life, he just always knows what to do and how to do it and when to do it, you know what I mean? And then he was telling me some stories this week about what life was like when he was my age, and I was like, oh, so you haven't always known exactly what to do. So you had to grow up in Jesus just like I'm doing, right? And I, have, I have a friend, uh, you know, a good friend of mine who's in that eighth or, you know, eight or nine years of marriage. And things are really, really hard in his marriage right now. And so I'm processing this with my friend, Pat, over here. And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's what I was like at eight or nine years of marriage. That's what I was doing, too. So I get to go and say to this friend, I know that you can change because I've seen it. I've been around long enough now to have seen it. So whatever you may have seen on the news, this is the reality from the inside. Jesus actually does change people. And he does it from the inside out. And the message of Ephesians is simply that that transformation happens, at least in part, by immersion in a particular kind of Christian community. Now, we've said already in this series that that particular kind of Christian community is one where we are rejoicing in one another's presence because we believe in the gospel of salvation by grace alone, So when we meet another Christian, we're blown away by that. We're overjoyed at God's work in their lives. And then we talked last week about this is a a kind of Christian community where there is chesed love at work. You remember this from last? Chesed love. Someone told me afterward I was pronouncing it the wrong way the whole time. That's fine. Okay, whatever. Sometimes you put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Do you know what I mean? So many people, by the way, approached me last week to ask how to spell it, that I just put it on the screen. Is it on the screen? It's spelled like that. Now, if you're actually a, a Hebrew speaker, some, some will put a C or a K at the beginning just to let you know you got to, <laughs> a little. But anyway. Chesed love is that loyal, steadfast, everlasting love of God that says to one another, I am for you, I am with you to the end, I will always want what is best for you. Now this week, we're just adding... That that kind of community where we're actually being changed is also a community where we speak the truth in love. That's verse 15. So a few things. Look at the list of of gifts and offices in verse 11. Uh, You'll notice all of them have to do with teaching or preaching or sharing or counseling with the word of God. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds. Shepherds, you see a little note there, it just means pastor. That same word for pastor. And teachers. And they all have this one thing in common. And that is that the word of God is at the center of how they minister to the body of Christ. So the point is right there. We grow up in Christ when we're part of a a community that preaches and teaches and loves and is built on the word of God. Sometimes we hear the phrase speaking the truth in love and we think what it means is, oh, that's when you've got to have a really hard conversation with someone. You've got to break some bad news or, or confront someone's wrongdoing, and you've got, to get your kind of, you know, you've got to get kind of screwed up, you know, to deliver the bad news. That may be part of it, but really all we're talking about when we say speaking the truth in love is pointing one another to Jesus in the Word of God. Speaking the truth in love is pointing one another to Jesus in the Word of God even when we're delivering bad news, even when we're confronting someone's wrongdoing. I mean, don't we all find ourselves in situations at work and at home and in our relationships at church and everywhere else where you just don't know, you, you know that something has to be said, but you're just not sure how to do it. You know, how to approach it, what words to say. Well, we can say confidently that at the very least, you will never go wrong pointing them back to Jesus. And if you've had this experience of of wrestling through an issue with someone, you know that the, the whole conversation changes when he becomes the subject. Whatever the issue is, if you just would ask, well, how is Jesus good news in the midst of this issue then? Is there anything Jesus says or anything you see Jesus doing that addresses this issue right now? The whole conversation changes when we begin to talk to each other that way. This is so, for example, in in freedom groups, in missional communities, in all of our campus ministries, really, you know, basically all we're doing is opening the Word of God together, and showing one another the good news of Jesus and what he's done for us. I've heard a little bit, for example, about, these, about the freedom groups and what they're doing. It's just, it's just theology. You're just doing theology and then applying it to real-life practical issues. That's speaking the truth in love. This is why verse 13 says, we're to attain to the unity of the faith and, and what? The knowledge of the Son of God. We grow up in places where the Word of God is loved and being opened and being taught. Now, the thing about the church, though, is that the church also makes the Word of God visible to us. Okay, so just as an example, in my first year as a pastor here at Faith Community Church, there was a younger guy in the congregation who was really mistreating his girlfriend, really out of line. And she came to us for help. So I sat down with him, and I had another elder from the church join us, and I let him have it. I just read him the riot act. You you could characterize my counseling style as blunt, okay? And it did not go well. He got really defensive, and he started justifying the things that he'd been doing. He started pushing back on me. He said, you're not even a real pastor, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I punched him. No, I didn't really punch him. (laughs) So then, so then this older guy steps in and starts talking, and he just does it in a totally different way. He uses a totally different tone of voice, still very clear, okay? But he was gentle, and he was empathetic. And, this, you know, the guy's defenses came down. He started admitting his wrongdoing. Just a totally different ballgame. It was like sitting in on a pastoral clinic. And I, I know the Bible, Okay? I even knew it 10 years ago, for those of you wondering who knew me then. Yes. So here's here's one of my life verses because of the kind of personality that I have. Here's a life verse, 2 Timothy 2.24. It says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, gentle, able to teach, and God may perhaps grant repentance to the doofus across the table. That's my, own, that's my own special translation. I know that. I've heard, I've read that. But it's different when you see it and you're like, oh, that's what it feels like when you correct with gentleness. That's what it sounds like when you correct with gentleness. Do you know what I'm talking about? And this has happened all the time because I've been, I've been part of a church now for a long, long time. When I've had questions about how to discipline my children, that's probably the number one place where I'm confused and befuddled, I have people I go to. And I say, okay, I know this is what Scripture says. Spare the rod and spoil the child and correct with gentleness. How does that happen? And they talk you through it, and this is how it will feel when you're done. This is what should happen in your relationship with your child if you do this the right way, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, and you can do that with just about any issue in your life. The church takes the word of God and puts skin on it for you. So you're like, oh, so that's what it would feel like and look like if I were obedient to the word of God. We grow up in Christ when we're in relationships that make that visible to us. In other words, we speak the truth in love to each other. Now, truth and love, this is verse 15, have to always go together. They cannot be separated. There's a reason that we talked about chesed love last week. There's a reason that this is the third week of this series and not the first. Now, just before we go on, just to be clear, as followers of Jesus, uh, Whether we enjoy a close relationship with people or not, we always need to tell the truth. Everybody got that? We are people called to tell the truth about everything all the time, even to total strangers, okay? But ideally, in the congregation, in the church, we get to speak the truth in a context where we have already established that I am committed to you And what I'm about to tell you is because I love you and I've already demonstrated that love to you and you know it and nothing about what I'm about to say changes the way I feel about you but you need to know X, Y, and Z. Okay, that's why this is the third week and not the first week. Some of you, uh, you know, I just, I don't want you to If you're in a difficult relationship, we'll get this out, okay. If you're in a difficult relationship and you're going to hear this sermon and get all fired up about going home today and you're going to tell the truth in love, you might need to pump the brakes and back it up and listen to the first two weeks of this series. There may need to be apologies that need to be made and rubble that needs to be cleared out of the relationship. Do you know what I mean? And I've had to do this in my own relationship. How many times have I had to go to my children and I have to apologize for the way I've been communicating the truth to them? Because speaking the truth without love is not about the truth. It's about you and your issues. Okay? so. It is possible, you all know this, okay? It is possible to tell the truth in a manipulative, coercive way, right? Everybody say amen, mm-hmm. Say, that's my spouse, yeah, you just, yeah, okay? <laughs> it's possible to tell the truth in a way that is not for the other person's good, but you, you're doing it to score a point, to win the argument, or to make your opponent look bad or whatever. Well, that's not about the truth then. If you separate you take out love. Now we're not talking about the truth. We're talking about you. So if, you're, if you struggle to know what speaking the truth in love would look like, I think, that, I think the last paragraph that we read really sheds light on it. So let's just look, especially verses 29 through uh, 31. And if you are here, okay, and you're in one of those relationships that's tough, and you know that at least partly it's because of your mouth, you would do well to go home, And you need to kind of look these verses through a little bit, okay, before you start talking. Here's what it says. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, okay? Corrupting talk literally means corrosive speech, words that eat people, okay? Uh, Sarcasm would be a great example of this. Sarcasm literally means to cut Now, so for some of you, sarcasm is your love language, right? You just love that little jab, and and there's a, okay, there's a place to be funny, but what would it look like to just speak with sincerity and make that the normal thing? What if you went home today and you just gave your spouse or your roommate just a genuine compliment? I just, you are great at if you think she might fall down, you got a problem at home, okay, that needs to be addressed. But that's how we're called. That's, that's supposed to be the norm. Put away all corrosive speech. Then he goes on to say, but only what is good for building up. Okay, so this means that things like your tone matter. The words that you choose matter. Uh, Telling, it's it's not enough to just communicate right information. It's possible to say true things in a tone that is disdainful and dismissive and and belittling and insulting, especially online, okay, we're not going to talk much about that today. But that kind of thing destroys people in relationships. You all know this. You've all experienced it and we've probably all done it. And then he goes on, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only what is good for building up. As fits the occasion, so that means that there, there's a timing to these conversations, and all of this stuff matters. Like, you know, discipline with your children, for example. You don't discipline your children in front of their friends. Okay, you don't uh, berate a coworker or a, you know, someone a direct report at work. You don't berate them in front of the whole office. That's not gonna help. I mean, maybe, what, maybe there's an occasion when the danger is so significant and they're so hard-headed you've gotta do that, but that would be very rare. Um, speaking in the truth in love will almost never happen when you're angry. How many of you have spoken the truth when you were angry and that went well for you? Ever? Okay, probably not. Uh, sometimes it's a good idea you know, especially in your closest relationships, make an appointment to have the conversation. In our first two or three years of marriage, uh, almost any time we talked about money, it didn't go well. Because for me, it always felt super urgent, which Darcy interpreted as an accusation about her spending, which is phenomenal, by the way, okay? (laughs) But I'm just always, you know, I get wound up and we got to take care of this right now, and she would receive that as like, what am I doing wrong? You, do you know what I mean? All the married men need to do, yeah, okay. So, you know, there's some wisdom to saying, could, you know, hey, when you get home tonight, could we go over the, the budget? She says, no. Say, well, could, you know, tomorrow, okay, tomorrow. Okay, do you understand? So, we speak the truth in love, but we don't let corrupting talk come out of our mouths, only what is good for building up as fits the occasion. And then you look at the next uh, verse 31. Your motivation matters. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. But be kind to one another, tender hearted, and forgiving one another. Most, most commentators say that malice is kind of a summary word for all of those other things, it, it just kind of summarizes bitterness, wrath, anger, and so on. And at least part of the point here is then. Ideally, you would not speak until you're at least somewhat aware of your motivation for doing so. Okay, if you're going to wait around for a perfectly pure motivation, okay, no, you'll never get anything done, then I'm just saying you should have some awareness of why you want to have this conversation in the first place. Am I doing this because I want to punish or create discord? Am I telling the truth to demonstrate my own moral superiority? Okay, you got to get a little in touch with why you're doing what you're doing. Speaking the truth in love is more than just saying true things. It's being wise about your tone, your words, the timing of the conversation and ultimately so that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. If If you don't know how to speak the truth in love, just look at the way Jesus talks to you. Look at the way that he talks to other people in the Gospels. He always tells the truth, but it comes with so much room for you to grow. He's he's always telling people what to do, but it comes with all of this grace. Like, I understand this is going to take you some time to learn, and there's, there's room for you to do that and stuff. Look at the way that God speaks to you. All right, so the truth without love isn't really about the truth. In the same vein, then, love, air quotes, love, without truth, isn't love. Not all love is love. We see this in the Bible with Eli, for example. Eli did not want to deal with his children. They went crazy and destroyed their lives, and a bunch of other people's lives, too. David is another classic example. David, just for whatever reason, did not know how to deal with his oldest sons, in particular. And the result was murder and fratricide and a, a coup attempt on the throne and all kinds of stuff. David, in general, just did not know how to talk to his relatives. He was uh, a promise, okay? So those are obvious examples of, of love without truth, but we're, we're tempted to do this in all of our relationships. But especially at, in our families and especially at work, Sometimes it's just easier, you know this, to go with the flow. And we've all seen families and companies and organizations that just sort of skid into decline because no one is willing to say the things that need to be said because they don't want to hurt feelings, they don't want to put distance in the relationship. In other words, they're trying to love, but they don't want to tell the truth, and that does not work. This was uh, written by a scholar during the Cold War. He was writing about communism, but it just sounds more and more like the world we live in now. Here's what he writes. He says, imagine a society in which no one trusted anyone to keep a promise, in which every leader was expected to lie as a matter of course, in which every teacher was suspected of being an academic cheat, in which every religious leader was a moral fraud, in which every legal contract was not expected to be honored so no legal partner could be expected to bank on the loyalty of another. No one could be expected to make any decision with any assurance of having the facts at hand, he says. What would happen? Well, the economy would collapse, the rule of law would become impossible, and life would become brutalized. That's Communist Russia. And we're just inching toward that kind of situation in our own context right now. So if you're here and you want to change the world, tell the truth. Just start there. You're 15 years old and you are excited to go out and change the world. Here's step one be someone who speaks the truth. And you will change the tone of everything around you, you will stand out. I think I've shared this with you before, but I have a really good friend who's a banker. And he's like closing, you know, multi, 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 multi-million dollar deals all the time. And he studied philosophy in college. That was his major. But he was a teller at a bank. And every time I would talk to him, he just got promoted and promoted and promoted until like he's running the show now. And I asked him one time, I said, what is the deal? He said, I'm the only person where I work who will tell my bosses what they don't want to hear. And they keep promoting me for it. Now, I'm not guaranteeing that will work for you. (laughs) I'm just saying, be a person who tells the truth. And you'll, you'll be salty. You'll be light. He goes on in verse 25. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members one of another. That word member refers to a body part, okay? When you became a Christian, you were fused to the church the way your arm is fused to your body because we have this shared experience in the spirit. We've all been baptized into the same new identity, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what holds the body together is truth-telling. If you would like to be lonely, just start lying. And see how fast your relationships fall apart. You don't even need to be lying to the people close to you. But I I bet you've had this experience where you've been with a Christian friend. And you hear them lying to someone else. So they say to the salesman, oh yeah, we already bought this and such. So no, we don't need that. Just tell the salesman you don't want his vacuum cleaner. Okay? But instead you lie. Or you, you know, I've heard Christian friends lie to their landlord. I know they're lying, they know they're lying, and they wink at me. Well, even if, it's, even if you're not lying to part of the body, what is that person just filing away in the back of their mind? This is a person who will lie if she's uncomfortable. I'll just keep that in mind. <laughs> so the next time I call her and, oh, we're just too busy tonight, Sure. Sure, you're too busy tonight. We're out of town, or oh, I would love to be there. You don't want to be that person. You do not want to be that person. Lying cuts at the fabric of of all community, especially Christian community. Now, just before we kind of head towards the end here, there are just so you know, there are exceptions. We have examples in the Scripture and from church history of godly people lying to the state to protect lives. I'm not even gonna talk about those exceptions because the heart is so duplicitous that you will seize on the exception and try to make it the rule. If you'd like to know when it's okay to lie to the state, come and talk to me. It's not your taxes, so there, there's half, you don't need to talk to me about that. Truth and love cannot be separated, and when we lie, it's about us. And I would add it is rooted, I believe it's rooted in unbelief. I'll just close with this. Tim Keller talks about three kinds of lies. Uh, Approval lies, power lies, and control seeking lies. Approval lies are the lies we tell because we want people to like us. So you exaggerate on your Tinder account or your resume, or you lie because you don't want to be disliked. Two sides of the same coin. Power lies are lies we tell because we think there's some kind of material advantage for us. Uh, It'll give us access to, to, to money or You know, this happens all the time in business contracts and things like that. We're not fully disclosing the truth. And then control-seeking lies are lies that we tell to avoid accountability with people. We've said, we've promised to do this and such. We don't want to do it. We just want to be left alone. Those are control-seeking lies. If we're going to be people who tell the truth, then, we have to be getting our approval and sense of control and our power in, in such a measure from somewhere else that we just don't feel the need to not speak the truth. Does that make sense? So when you need to talk to your teenager about something he or she is doing, and you are afraid that they will reject you, that it will put distance in the relationship, or something like that, We remember, first of all, that in the Spirit, I have been given everything that I need to not sin against this child, to tell the truth, and to do it in the right way. And if she storms out and tosses her keys at my face, I still belong to the living God through Jesus. And when I pray for her, it will matter. Do you understand what I'm saying? The cross of Jesus is the ultimate word of truth and love, the cross of Jesus is brutally honest with you about how bad your situation really is. The cross of Jesus pulls no punches about the holiness of God and his rage about your sin. And at the same time, it affirms that this is the love of God for you. You are far worse. The cross says to you, you are far worse than you know. And you are much, much, much more loved than you would have dared to dream. And when we see that, we are able to go to each other and tell the truth. Knowing that we've been given everything we need to do it in the spirit. And that whatever the outcome is, God is still God. And he is still for us. All right, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Would you make us a place, God, that rejoices in one another, that love one another with your steadfast, everlasting love. And would you add to that God, make us a truth-speaking, God-honoring people. We ask this through Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.